All right, what a blessing to be able to have this time together. So good to be with you. Hey, if you're joining us for the first time, I'm Pastor Terry. I'm the lead pastor here at Cornerstone Church in San Francisco. You know, our focus has been on breakthrough since the beginning of the year. This idea of breaking out, breaking through, allowing God to work his healing in our lives. And we're going to talk again today about how to overcome obstacles, the inevitable things that would block us from moving forward. We're going to sit with the uh, ongoing account from the life of Joseph in the book of Genesis. But you know, I just want to let you all know about where we're heading in the next couple of weeks. I'm pretty excited about that as well. Some of you are aware that Easter is not that far from now, <laughs> right? Next week, Palm Sunday, and then the Sunday after that, Easter Sunday. And, you know, I, I, I think on Palm Sunday, we're going we're gonna to really try to sit with what it means to welcome in Jesus as the Savior. We're going to ponder the breakthrough of the cross and what that means for us. You know, when I think about the, the cross, I think about the breakthrough of love. I do, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that Jesus was broken for us, that we might have breakthrough, that his brokenness brings the breakthrough that is only possible by him giving us what we could never earn our, ourselves, right? He, he gave himself so that we might have life with God. I mean, what a gift, the breakthrough of love. But more than that, I think about Easter because Easter is the breakthrough. If, if the cross is the breakthrough of love, then Easter is the breakthrough of life. And that's part of our inheritance as well, um, that we might have a life that is truly life and a life that goes beyond this life. I mean, that, that's the gift. Love and life, the, the, beautiful, the beautiful gifts that we've been given in Jesus the breakthrough, the breakthrough. Of, um, we are so blessed. I hope we understand. Lord, I thank you for the gifts that you have given us, the breakthrough of love and the breakthrough of life. And even now, we ask that you would speak to us as we break the bread of your word. May it also bring us life as we look back in time and draw life from it. That's my prayer for all of us in Jesus' name. All right. Uh, I want to, again, like I mentioned, return to the story of, of Joseph, the account from the book of Genesis, which has been such a blessing for us during this unique time of challenge in 20, really all through the vast majority of 2020 and now here in, into the first part of 2021. We've been weaving in and out of his life story. And I want to pick up where we left off last week. We're going to have a slight shift of this, uh, from focusing on Joseph to focusing a little bit on Joseph's father, Jacob. Jacob is at this point, a much older man. He's an aged man. I think some of us are aware, not all of us. And it's okay. If you're just beginning to follow the Lord, and you don't have a lot of understanding of the scriptures. Jacob, Joseph's father was the grandson of Abraham and the son of a man named Isaac, Isaac, whose name means 
laughter. And I've always loved how Frederick Beatner refers to Jacob, Isaac's son, as the son of laughter. I think that's, I just love that, right? What a, what a way of, of sort of describing Jacob, the son of laughter. And yet we know that Jacob was a man who had struggles and wounds in his life. And one of those wounds was connected to the loss of what, what appeared to be an irreversible tragedy in his life. The loss of his favored son, the, the son of, of Rachel, his beloved wife, Joseph, who evidently, as he had been led to believe, had been killed by a wild beast. That's what the brothers had told. That's what Joseph's brothers had told their father had happened to Joseph. But the truth is, as many of us are aware, out of their envy and anger and hatred and jealousy, they had sold him off to be a slave into Egypt. It became the family secret. And, you know, for, for Jacob, it, it, it must have been incredibly painful because he was the one who had sent J Joseph on the errand that had led to what he assumed had been his death. And so he had to live with that, the if-onlys. I think we understand how painful that can be, how hard that can be. If only I had sent some with Joseph. If only I had waited to the following day to just, he'd be alive right now. You know, the if only, if only, if only. When I think we understand that when we start living in the land of if onlys, uh, that's like a dead end alley. That'll go nowhere. If only I had done this. If only I had thought about that. If only I was aware of what was really happening. Look, there may be truth to that but it doesn't change anything. We don't want to live in the if-onlys. But Jacob was, was no, no doubt still being affected by the loss of his son, Joseph. And, and even though some of that pain had been mitigated by the birth of, of uh, Joseph's younger brother, Benjamin, uh, the fact of the matter was there was no replacing Joseph. And for Jacob, it would be an incredible loss. And on top of it, there would be a guilt that he would never be able to really be free from, or so he thought. For the brothers, <laughs> their family sin <laughs> cast a shadow on everything. I mean, <laughs> they had damaged this family in so many ways. I mean, it was the center of the wheel and the spokes went in all directions. I mean, think about it. Joseph's life was for the most part ruined. They just thought he was dead. No one could have envisioned what had happened to Joseph and that the amazing deliverance and rise to prominence from being a slave to the prison to, to the palace, just an incredible God thing. But the, the brothers had just assumed Joseph was dead and they had to live with their lie because they had deceived their father. And, you know, that kind of a secret lie and sin unconfessed and undealt with, created a guilt and a shame that uh, kind of must have stolen away so much of the joy. And we know it was on their mind because when they start talking, even two decades later, it's, <laughs> it's still there. And again, as I mentioned, for, for Jacob, it was real. So, you know, there's just two things I want to say at the outset here then is one of them is that, you know, there are, and this is just a raw truth, there are some wounds in life that are so intense that they become obstacles for us. They're hindrances. They're, they're ongoing issues. 
that we have to deal with. And they can become unchecked barriers to God's grace. They can keep us from moving forward. And that's, that's sort of the bad news here is that a lot of these unfair things or pains in life, sometimes they're maybe even self-imposed by decisions we've made, but these wounds, these hurts of life, uh, you know, they can become blockades. They can, they can hinder our ability to be the, the blessers that God has created us to be in Christ Jesus. So, you know, they have to be dealt with or they will keep us from so much of our spiritual inheritance. But the good news is, if that's the bad news, the good news is that God wants to help us overcome those obstacles. It's not as if the Lord is saying, okay, you go get yourself healthy. You go deal with that stuff. Then come back to me and we'll, um, we'll work this out. No, that's not how the Lord, the Lord doesn't say, you know, the Lord never says you, you get yourself straightened out and then we'll have a relationship. The Lord always says, come as you are. And then, um, let me work, rework life into you. And, uh, I'll help, I'll help you grow and heal and get better. And I love the Lord for that. Okay. Yeah. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you. But let's, let's jump back here into Genesis 42. Let's just pick right up. Um, I'm going to try to jump into the account and then I'll explain a little bit about it. Uh, Joseph, verse 25, Genesis 42, gave orders to fill their bags with grain and to replace every man's money in his sack and to give them provisions for the journey. This was done for them. And then they loaded their donkeys with their grain and departed. So they left Egypt heading back home to Canaan, um, you know, with the grain that they had come to purchase. They had had to leave Simeon, their brother, behind. But it says that one of them opened his sack to give his donkey fodder at the lodging place. Something, he noticed something. He saw his money in the mouth of his sack. Now that was the money that had supposedly been used to purchase the grain. So the question came, what is that money doing in my sack when we use that money to buy the grain? Oh my goodness. You know, how are we going to be able to go back to, to Egypt um, to buy more grain or to yet alone to get, to get Simeon with the money that we were supposed to have paid still with us. I don't, maybe it was a mistake, who knows, but it was very disconcerting. It says, at, th at this, look how the Bible describes it. At this, their hearts failed them and they turned trembling to one another saying, what is this that God has done to us? So it just seemed like another twist in the wrong, a turn in the wrong direction. And they were afraid. They felt like, can anything else go wrong? How are we gonna explain the fact that the money that we supposedly paid for the grain with, we, we still have. <laughs> so, you know, Joseph's brothers, they're being tested. You know, from, from their perspective, things couldn't be worse. I mean, they desperately needed the grain in Egypt because if they didn't get it, because of the famine severity, it was quite likely their livestock would die and even possible their families would starve to death. The situation was dire. That's why they had gone to Egypt in the first place and taken the chance. They knew there was some risk in it. Now, Simeon, their brother, was sitting in a jail cell in Egypt. They knew they would never see him again. He probably would die there unless they could bring back their younger brother, Benjamin, for it was what the 
mysterious and, if I can use the word capricious, Egyptian ruler had demanded as a means of verifying the truth of their words. In other words, you know, the man that they didn't know was Joseph had said, if you are who, truly who you say you are, then you bring back your younger brother like you say you have. Um, and uh, I'll, I'll not only set your brother free, but I'll let you buy all the grain you want. And they realized, and we can be sure they discussed it because it was going to be no small feat. They realized that everything was going to depend on convincing their father, Jacob, to let Benjamin go. And they knew especially after what had happened to Joseph, that honestly, it's probably going to be a minor miracle to convince him to let him take, let them take the boy. Uh, well, I guess he was a young man by now, but I mean, the way that the, their father protected him, you know, he was the last connection. Jacob had lost Rachel, their mother. He had lost, I mean, Benjamin and Joseph's mother, and he had lost Joseph. So he was never going to risk losing Benjamin. And so, you know, and then, so now on top of all of that, the discovery by one of the brothers that the silver they had used to purchase the grade was still in their satchels, how it got there. No one knew <laughs> like, it was clearly a mistake, but it was going to be very difficult to explain to the Egyptian who already seemed so suspicious and ill-tempered, it didn't look good. All right, verse 29. When they came to Jacob, their father, so they, they get back home in the land of Canaan. They, they told him all that had happened to them, saying, and so they repeat the story. It's the man, the, the Lord of the land. He, I, we don't know how to describe it. He, he, he just like didn't like us from the very beginning. And he spoke roughly to us. He, he was mean. He was a mean guy. It's odd too, because he, he, sometimes he could be almost oddly kind, but then it, harsh at the same time. He, he, anyway, he took us to be spies. He said that we were spies in the land, that we really were here for a nefarious purpose. And, and, and we said to him, look, we, we, no, 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 no. We, we told him, we, we're honest men. We've never been spies. That's not who we are. We're just, we're just 12 brothers. We're, we're 12 brothers, sons of our father. Um, one of our brothers is no more. The irony is, of course, that the one that they said was no more was the one whom they were talking to at that very moment. And then they said, and the youngest is this day with our father in the land of, of Canaan. Yeah, he's still alive. He's, he, but he's back home. And, and then the man, the Lord of the land, he, 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 he said to us, by this I shall know that you are honest men. Uh, just, you, you leave one of your brothers with me. You take the grain for the famine, for your households. You can have the food, you know, and go your way. But if you want to be able to purchase more grain and if you want your brother to be freed, bring your youngest brother to me and then I shall know. I shall know that you are not spies, but you're honest men. And I will deliver your brother to you and, and you'll be able to freely trade in this land. And they emptied their sacks. After they as they told this to their father, they started emptying their sacks and taking out the grain. And, and they were in shock because behold, every man's bundle of money was in his sack. And when they and their father saw the bundles of money, they, got, they were terrified. They were afraid. 
<laughs> one of the things uh, we notice is that this time the brothers, they're not playing around. They, they, their old ways of, of trying to tell a fake story to manipulate somehow to get Benjamin, that's not happening here. There is no, they just tell the truth. No false tale, no contrived angle to somehow get Jacob to let Benjamin go. One of the things, uh, you know, one of the things I've appreciated, and I'm just going to say it about the Bible. You've heard me say it before. I've probably said it more than a few times for those who've been with me through the years. One of the things I appreciate most about the Bible is that it doesn't hide the flaws of its heroines and heroes. And in my mind, we're about to see this. One of the things that is clear is that the great patriarch, Jacob, um, whose name the Lord had called Israel, Jacob, now advanced in years, has a, a, a flaw. He's got a, a character deficiency that he has carried through the years. And um, I mean, he's got more than one. But I think he's going, I mean, he's, aside from his tendency to manipulate, which <laughs> was something that was clearly connected to his family way. Uh, the, the family way of his departed mother, Rebecca, and her brother, his uncle Laban, uh, you know, they were, you know, very clever people, to, to put it mildly. And that had been something that Jacob had as well. But on top of that, Jacob had an unfortunate inclination towards negativity and pessimism. It was a definite obstacle in his life that, that when he was afraid, that's where he would drop. And maybe some of us can relate to that. I actually think I can, that, that there are times when we're, when we're afraid, we drop into certain things. And what Jacob tended to drop into when he was afraid was a kind of uh, negativity. I mean, and, and, and just a, a poor attitude. Uh, watch how he reacts here. Watch what he does. It says that Jacob, their father, said to them after they shared this account and he sees what is happening with the, the money that, that is now in their bags and, and it makes no sense because that was the money that they had supposedly used to purchase the grain. It, the, the, the entire thing was, looked awful. And, and watch how Jacob rises to the occasion. It says, Jacob, their father, said to them, you have bereaved me of my children. You, all of you, Joseph is no more. And that was more true than he realized, right? Simeon is no more. And now you want to take Benjamin. All this has come against me, right? So what is the first thing he does? You see it. What do you see? The first thing he does out of his fear, is he blames. Notice the use. I call them the long use. You have bereaved me, yeah, of my children. Now you would take Benjamin. You see it? You hear it, right? So he, he blames. First react, blame. Second react, he exaggerates. Because he says, Joseph is no more. He's dead. Simeon's gone. Well, well Simeon wasn't dead. 
you know, and, and nothing had happened to Benjamin was right next to him. Benjamin's no more, right? You want to take him, right? I mean, there was some truth to what he's saying, but he, he was putting the worst, the worst possible spin on it. I mean, Simeon was still alive. Benjamin had gone nowhere. There, were, there was nothing had happened yet. And then he finishes it by indulging in self-pity, doesn't he? Notice what he says. All these things, everything's against me, right? The, there, what, what do you notice? What is there no mention of? As Jacob is faced with this obstacle, what does he not mention? There is no mention of God. None. You know what's dictating? Fear. Fear is dictating. Fear is dictating. Not faith. He's focusing on his circumstances and how negative they are. And so he's already come to the conclusion that the situation is hopeless. This is, I'm ruined. It's awful. And he, he, you know, and I heard someone say once, if you believe there is no hope, the one upside to believing there's no hope is that you're not likely to be disappointed, right? <laughs> I mean, I guess so. Uh, but I want to, I want to suggest to you, um, my friends, my brothers and sisters, yeah. Like I say, loved ones. I want to suggest that, that one of the keys to overcoming our obstacles, one of the keys to breakthrough in the precarious places is not to allow fear and frustration to dominate us when things are going against us, but rather to let faith rise, to let faith in God rise up within us. And remember, faith focuses not on the circumstances, but rather on the promises. That's, and, 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 and even more than the promises, faith focuses on the promiser. And that's something I need, to, I need to keep reminding myself of as well. That faith doesn't focus on the circumstances. Faith focuses on the promises, but even more, faith focuses on the promiser. Faith focuses on the Lord. You know, we're reminded that God is a very present help. He is. In fact, it's Psalm 46. God is our refuge and our strength. Someone we, we can turn to in a troubled time, a very present help in trouble. And then look at the beginning of verse 2. Psalm 46, 1, but verse 2. Therefore, we will not fear. That's huge. We need to anchor ourselves in the Lord's faithfulness and then not allow fear to dictate. And it's not so easy to do. You know, I, I was listening to someone share, it was actually a teacher that I was listening to, and he was talking about um, what had happened in his life and how bad a certain situation was and how he was just feeling overwhelmed by the fear and the situation, the circumstances. He said they were, the, the circumstances just were suffocating him. And he said he felt like the Lord spoke to him and said, instead of trying to control your circumstances, find me in those circumstances. And that's a great word for us, isn't it? I mean, it's so good. 
instead of trying to control our circumstances, let's find God in those circumstances. There are certain things I can't control them. I, 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 in fact, the more I clutch, the worse it gets. The more I surrender, the better it is. The more I clutch, the more I shrink my world and the more I limit things. But the more I trust, the more open, the more surrendered we are, the more creative we can become and the more capable we will be of being able to see alternative opportunities that may be present. But we can't do that if we're hunkered down in fear and just sort of tying ourselves up, binding ourselves in negativity. You know, the bottom line is this, you guys, Jacob is forgetting the God of his fathers and the promises that were made. He's allowing fear to dominate his reasoning. And so he's filled with negativity. One of the, uh, you know, another great principle in scripture and something, (laughs) something that I think ironically is modeled more by Jacob's son, Joseph than by Jacob, who is the father, is that when things are breaking down, one of the keys to overcoming obstacles, one of the keys to breakthrough, uh, will be confessing our trust in God and then aligning our attitudes accordingly, right? So we actually align our words and attitudes accordingly. So it's sort of a, again, it's something that Joseph modeled for us is a confession of trust in God. And then we, we align our words in that direction of trust. Now that doesn't mean we're going to get it perfect. We're going to drop back in, in, in negativity. We, we, I'm sure we can do all the things that Jacob did, but, but for the most part, we check those words. We bring them into submission. We lay them before the Lord. We say, God, I give you permission to remind me and uh, to, to, to not speak things that are lifeless and death dealing. And instead, Lord, I want to speak words of life and commit myself to words of promise, especially when I'm under duress and when I'm afraid. And and the temptation is to yield to those fears and to drop into a very pessimistic, dark mood. And instead, Lord, I want to then align my attitude with the confession and then the words. And then I align my attitude and it creates, I mean, I I just bring that into alignment with what I'm confessing and what I'm speaking out, right? So all those things woven together. Um, and that confession, by the way, and the articulation of those words that can be sometimes spoken. Yes. And it's powerful when we speak it, I say, praise you, God, or Lord, I know you are with me or God, I, 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 I come against this fear and I declare that you are my refuge and my strength. You are a very present help in troubled times. And I will not be afraid. Right. When we confess those things, it's a very powerful mechanism that we release, but it's also true that that can happen when we write it out. I've done that more than a few times. I just write out the promises of God. I write out my confession of what I believe. Uh, you know, we type it in, we put it in, we, 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 we connect with it at a very visceral, tangible, tactile level. And it drives it home. I, I think one of the, the verses that's been most meaningful, in fact, the, the fourth chapter of Philippians has been just a perfect chapter for us, a wonderful complement to the life of Joseph through this entire season of, of the COVID and the pandemic and And honestly, it's just been a tremendous tool for overcoming. But in Philippians 4, 8, and this is the NLT, we're reminded. And now, dear brothers and sisters, one final thing. And I can't say this enough. Fix your thoughts on what is true and honorable and right and pure and lovely and admirable. Think about things that are excellent 
and worthy of praise. Dwell on them, focus on them, you know, turn your eyes on them. The Bible's command, remember, is not naive and simplistic. It's not, I need to say this, it's not the denial of reality, but it's positive. It's not the denial of reality, but it's positive. At the very least, it's not succumbing to negativity. It's not death words because we are connected to a living savior. Therefore, death is not my final word. Life is our final word. Come what may, my hope is anchored in a truth, in a truth. And that truth is Jesus, our risen Lord and savior. It's important. It's very important. Um, and I'm not just talking about, you know, put on a, a happy face. I don't think that's wrong. I don't. And I'm not saying, you know, just throw out a trite phrase here and a, you know, a pretend over here. I'm not saying that. I'm not talking about serpy, uh, pass, you know, positivity that is denying that something is not good. But what I am saying is, it's a chosen stance of optimism that is anchored in the goodness and the faithfulness and the proven track record of God, who is our great deliverer. In this life or the life to come, our hope is real and our promise true. It's about fixing ourselves on the promise, but also on the promiser. <laughs> How good is that? <laughs> All right, you know, I'm really looking forward to where we're going in the coming weeks. I am. As we really start to prepare in earnest to celebrate Easter. But I have a little bit more to say, one more thought to share on the other side of the song that we're going to turn to in a moment. But right now, I just get to remind all of you, because I get to, <laughs> about the, the blessing of giving and how faithful you have been, how thankful I am for you. And remember, you can give in a, a, a number of ways. You can send it into our offices and just give in that traditional kind of way, or you can give online through our website, or you can give on, on the app, which is what I do. Um, but um, either way, may our hearts be tender. And uh, even now, Lord, as we get ready to share the song that is going to connect with the idea of focusing on you, ah, to turn our eyes on, on you, I ask that you would help us to remember always the gift that we have um, and that we're never alone, ever, Lord. So I just want to turn my eyes on you, Jesus. Let's do this together right now. Here we go. Every day I wake up and I meet the same old fight Between the world of chaos and that quiet voice inside and my foe keeps telling me there's a million ways to find where my hope is, but it's a lie. I know who to run to.
a distant shore It says if I just take a step I'll find what I'm asking for And this world keeps telling me That I'll sink beneath the waves You're my courage And you're my faith I know who Turn my eyes on Jesus, right? Isn't that the great invitation that we're all invited into? You know, I think as we make our way into the Easter season, that's something that people all over the world are gonna be doing. You know, we're already in it really right now, but I'm talking about these next two weeks leading into Palm Sunday and then ultimately into Easter. I think there's a great opportunity to join with people all over the world to really cast our gaze upon the one who loves us so who gave everything for us and invites us into life. I, I just don't want us to miss the opportunity. Let's find ways to be even more intentional about fixing our focus on the one who gave everything for us. We welcome you, Lord Jesus. We welcome your flow of life. Help us, we pray, Lord. Help us to live optimistically and hopefully not to be bound up, not unrealistically, but inclined to the positive, yeah. <sighs> so don't forget, you are greatly loved. And remember, he's so good and he's so God and he invites us, what? To so good and to so God. So may he keep you. May the power of the living Jesus pulsate through you in your spirit, in your soul, and in your mind and in your body, in Jesus' name, yeah. That blessing is yours.